MailChimp presents. MailChimp presents. This is Listening, a podcast where we ask musicians to keep a sonic diary, transforming the sounds around them into a musical portrait of a particular moment and place. In each episode, we'll try on the ears of a different musician to find out how they listen. It was kind of like a diorama of sound, but like the boxes around your whole head. It's like virtual reality. And what their world sounds like. I'm Elia Einhorn. I'm a musician, radio host, and DJ. And as curator for listening, I have the great privilege of bringing you insights from some of the most exciting minds in music, like Jalen, Jeff Tweedy, Emdu Mokhtar, and today's guest, Nico Case. I think if I ever viewed myself as the viewer, I was never the viewer from inside the house in the fairy tale. I was always the critter out in the woods looking at the beautiful, warm-looking house. Singer, songwriter, and multi-instrumentalist Nico Case is a force, a powerful lyricist whose voice transports listeners into a landscape where the natural world and human experience collide on albums like Fox Confessor Brings the Flood and Hell On. In this episode, we'll hear Nico's thoughts on listening and the role nature plays in it. Then we'll join her in her soundscape, which was made in the woods of Vermont, and meet up again afterwards to find out how the composition came together. Nico, thanks for speaking with me today. Thank you for having me today. Where are you joining us from? I'm in my studio in St. Johnsbury, Vermont. Ah, gotcha. In town, they call it. You're a townie now. I'm in town, yeah. I wonder if we could start by discussing the act of listening. Sure. Let's get into it. Let's go deep. Actively listening when I need to separate sounds and hear things as a group, I will often do something to take my mind off the task I'm doing. Like I'll open a magazine and just look at pictures and I can hear what I'm listening for better. Like something that I'm actively trying to figure out will jump out at me. It's kind of how I figure out if something is not what I want. Because looking directly at a whole bunch of sounds together with your ears, looking, meaning listening, can be such a sensory overload. Like staring into a light bulb. It does the same thing to your ears. Your ears become fatigued and the different ranges you can hear shrink. Mm. Mm -hmm. You know, there's often a groove worn in my brain where my own voice just doesn't exist. (laughs) Which is probably to save my life (laughs) at the end of the day so that I don't hate myself and I can keep working. But somehow by engaging another part of your brain, you're able to more actively focus on an element that eluded you before? Yes. I mean, there's things that I obviously have to focus in on, like if the engineer and I are going, you know, this bass sound, can we turn up a little bit of top end on this bass? But if I'm listening to something in a group that I'm trying to see if it's balanced or it fits in, I have to turn away and do something else. And if something jumps out at me, 
then I know that I need to engage with it. Like, do I have a rock and roll boner or do I need to turn that down and or, you know, adjust its corresponding frequencies? I always kind of know what I need at the time because I've been doing it so long. And I also generally can figure out when it's just time to go home. Mm. Can you remember a first moment of really being aware of yourself as a listener? Uh, no, because I, I really took that for granted. Like as a little girl in the 70s and 80s, I was alive at the high point of hi-fi. You know, stereo equipment and tube amps and crazy quadraphonic sound, or like all those things. <laughs> like I had like the largest range of stereo imaging I could enjoy. Like you didn't have to be my stoner dad to really enjoy listening to Dark Side of the Moon on a pair of headphones. <laughs> it was kind of like a diorama of sound, but like the box is around your whole head and you can pretend that you're in the forest. It's like virtual reality, but in the 1970s, we had stereo imaging on hi-fi stereo equipment. So that's always been there. It's not something I've ever been without, so I didn't think about it. I do remember the first time it became crucial. You know, I fought with sound engineers for a long time as a young woman, but to be fair, I also didn't know exactly what I was needing to hear. And then at a certain point making Blacklisted, we were in the studio recording at this place out in uh, California and the engineer and the owner of the studio, they, they weren't very helpful. Hmm. We were there recording and I kept hearing this top end distortion. The tape machine was not adjusted correctly and they didn't believe me because they couldn't hear the top end I could hear. I just had a larger range than they did. So, you know, I was like, okay, I guess. And we mixed everything. And of course we sent it to Peter Moore, who is my favorite mastering engineer on earth. Mm -hmm. He's like, the top end is completely distorted. There's no way I can master this. Wow. And I was like, motherfucker. And so I had to go and remix it and it was a bummer, but I'm very happy with how it turned out. And you know, it still stands up in my opinion. Oh my God, absolutely. So I knew that my ears were important and I had to pay $26,000 to figure that out. Oof. Did that imbue you with a higher sense of self-confidence moving forward to really say, look, I know that you guys can't hear it. I know there's sexism involved in this pushing back. No, I just became a bigger dick, <laughs> really. You know, they're the only studio I ever really worked with that was really shitty like that. Mm. But uh, it is the moment when I knew that my hearing was important. That's a powerful realization, right? Tell me, how did your listening instincts inform the composition you made for this podcast? Well, I think it's about being an observer, like gauging what state things are in by the sounds happening around you, which is a very specific human skill. Like, we're really good at it, but we don't think about it as part of our instinct anymore. We just think of it as hearing, but we do it all day. You know, we do it all the time and we take it for granted. You know how you can kind of get that weird little fight or flight chill up the back of your spine if you hear certain human sounds or animal sounds or lightning or something like that and you're caught off guard. You know, this is just 
a very reliable soundtrack of, yeah, everything's all right. Like, you know, some people enjoy hearing the ocean lapping on the shore. I enjoy just whatever combinations of sounds are happening with, you know, a thousand different species daily lives around me or the weather, which is very up and down in Vermont. There's just that lovely variety. Mm. I love seeing what nature can do and how it does it. And the constant reminder through change that, oh yeah, you know how you can be just lulled into a sense of complacency where you don't notice things? Vermont changes a lot all the time, so it's easy to snap out and notice a thing that's happening or a sound. Like, have you ever noticed that if you walk into a forest and you smell something, like say you smell balsam fir, Mm-hmm. And you're like, wow, that's good. I've noticed that you can only smell it for so long. Yes. Even yes. if you're in the balsam fur for a long time because... You habituate. Yeah, I'm guessing that it's a safety thing. Like, okay, well, we know that's balsam fur. I know it smells good, but you need to smell if there's you know, smoke mm-hmm. or if there's bears or whatever. You need to smell danger or food. So I always try to beat it and smell the balsam for longer, but mm. it doesn't really seem to work. But I, I think hearing is similar. You know, the selective hearing that we will use. So inherently, it's a skill that can be lost, but, but it's also a skill that can be practiced, you're saying. Yes, and that's exactly what we started talking about, like, how do you practice listening? Mm-hmm. It's kind of, well, shutting off trying is good. And that is such a lame thing that people always say, you know, like, Peter Pan, stop trying to fly and you'll fly. And you're like, shut up. It's not that easy. You just want to kick someone. Just believe. (laughs) No, it's work. (laughs) But it's really cool work. With all of that in mind, let's take a listen to Nico's composition. Then we'll meet on the other side to discuss it.
Nico, thank you so much for sharing that piece with us. It occurs to me that nature plays such a defining role in so much of your work. And I find myself very curious, what is your favorite sound in nature? Well, one of my favorite sounds is actually in the recording Mm. that I made, which is the wind chimes on my porch. Yes, Those Ah. wind chimes are some of my favorites. They're just really comforting. And I really love the sound of spring peepers, which are those little frogs that come out in Vermont in like April. They're just saying that nature is stoked. Mm. And there are about 8,000 frogs outside who want to have sex more than anyone has ever wanted to have (laughs) sex, ever. Something very calming and quaint and countryside about that. The world's randiest creatures right outside my door. (laughs) And they bring you comfort. They do. This is win-win. They're an indicator species. They're important. Hearing them out there in their little meat market pond out there, I'm like, everything's all right. Rain on the roof, everything's all right, you know? (laughs) Did you grow up in an environment like that? Is there a sort of a sense of home for you when you hear that? Or or did you grow up in a city? I kind of lived in different places. I went from super urban to super, super, super rural on and off. And the natural sounds are definitely my favorite. Like I did love in the city when it would rain really hard and it kind of drowns out all the other sounds. It reminds you that nature is going to digest you and the world's going to be all right. Mm. I've been really comforted and drawn to nature my whole life. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I I would go from urban to extremely rural areas on and off throughout the year because my parents were divorced and my dad was stationary and my stepfather was an archaeologist, so we went all over the place. Um, And a lot of the places were super remote. So I kind of identify with it as, as like a comforting force rather than the sound of the rhythm of a city. So I, I think I'm just more of a, a country person in that regard. I fit in here somehow. I liked the softer forest and the beautiful animals. I just really enjoy it. And it's kind of a good grounding thing. I think that's really reflected in the piece. When did you create this composition? It was right around New Year's Day. There's a a huge pack of coyotes that live in my neighborhood and they were having kind of a, a New Year's party. There's a, a big pack of them. Every now and again, they have a, a big coyote hoedown and they sound insane. There are some of them that really get into like vibrato with their voices, like, oh, 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 like kind of crazy stuff. We hear the wind chimes again here. They're those big long tubes. They're black. And this one, I think, was like tones of Japan. It's got those low tones that make me feel good. 
And the, the weird home, home, home sound you can hear is my horse is eating. There's two of them, they're chewing hay. And the horses, you know, they're not worried about coyotes. Horses are actually really good guard dogs and they keep the coyotes away. The crazy, psychotic surround sound that they make would be terrifying if I didn't know what it was. And the way the hills I live in are, it's often really difficult to tell which direction a sound is coming from. Ah. Because of the, the ricochet. You don't know how close, you don't know which direction they are. I'm sure it's very disorienting for their prey. Like, it must be terrifying if you're something running from them. And I'm sure they use that to their advantage. Mm. Like, almost like echolocation in bats or something. They'd be like, scare the shit out of that thing over there. (laughs) Where did the idea for a composition like this come from? How did it click for you? Well, I was lucky enough to be out there feeding horses when it happened and, you know... I have the iPhone with me, and I don't want to say the iPhone has a great recording, but there's something about the iPhone compression that's really great. It sounds really good. Mm -hmm. Jeff had to work with a lot of the noise in it. And Jeff is your longtime and close-working engineer. My man friend, yes. And man friend. uh, And man friend. He's my man friend, Jeff. He he tours with me as a tech, Mm -hmm. and that's how we met, which is... uh, the only way for musicians to actually meet a significant other. So I think we met when I was like 45 and I had already thought, oh, I'll never meet anybody. Fuck it. So there's a little love story in there too. There's this real surrender to chance, right? Or to randomness in this composition. Is that something that shows up often in your songwriting process? When I went and made a record with Laura Veers and Katie Lang and Tucker Martine, I didn't realize how uncomfortable the way I record could make other people. Katie and Laura are very, they like to be completely prepared before they go into the studio. Mm. So next to them, I seem a bit uh, fly by the seat of your pants in a way that (laughs) kind of seems like the lame person who doesn't study for their test and just comes in. I just didn't realize how loosey-goosey I'd done it before, watching them. They're the most shit-together people I've ever met. I'm a little more like Tucker, like, oh, let's see what happens, or let's leave the space. The idea that there's chance, right? That there's randomness. Yeah. I really get off on the chance. I I love not knowing what's going to happen. And I think, you know, maybe for my first couple of records, I wasn't really sure how I felt about that. And then it just became something that was necessary.
hear footsteps crunching in snow, Nico? Mm-hmm. A lot of this happened New Year's Day, mm-hmm. and it was in the evening, and there's a really kind of beautiful thing where, you know, nobody could get together. It was like peak pandemic. There's coyotes hanging out. My horses are making me feel good there. At some point, you hear my neighbors saying goodbye to some family member, my really super sweet neighbors who I love. And like, I couldn't go over and visit with my neighbors, but like seeing them have this sweet time with, I don't know, like their mom or brother or somebody was over, some family member was over, you could just tell, you know? Mm-hmm. It was lovely. You know, they had to socially distance from like, I think their mom or something. And oh. just hearing them like, you can't hear what they're saying, but you can hear the loving tones. And so like, though you can't understand the language of coyotes or horses, and you can't really understand what the people are saying here, the sounds all say what's happening. Mm. What was behind the decision to have the piece almost closed with laughter? I just thought it was a really sweet kind of tiny movie about New Year's Day and the pandemic. And I think if I ever viewed myself as the viewer, I was never the viewer from inside the house in the fairy tale. I was always the critter out in the woods looking at the beautiful, warm-looking house. It's just kind of a sweet, gentle New Year's Day postcard. What would you hope that our listeners take away from your piece and from our discussion of listening? hope that they would notice soundscapes in their own lives and what sort of combinations of sounds make them feel content. I think it makes you look at yourself a little bit and wonder what you need to feel good, which is a really great thing for everybody to wonder because it makes you able to take care of yourself. And that seems like the most basic, stupid thing to say, but I think we're thinking a lot about that over the past year. If somebody can just start making that connection, it's really a powerful thing. I think everybody should like go ask themselves what their favorite sounds are and just kind of snuggle up to them like a nice fluffy afghan or something. Oh, I love it. (laughs) So warm, so fuzzy. I'm Elia Einhorn and this is Listening. To revisit Nico's Corner of the Woods in Vermont, make sure to check out the companion piece to this episode, Nico Case Full Composition. On the next episode, Laraji. Sounds for their therapeutic and poetic nature, a sharing of a vibrational embrace. Listening is an original series from MailChimp, made in partnership with TalkHouse and 3DB. Thanks for tuning in. MailChimp presents 